All right, I'm going to jump in to our word this morning. Um, I got so much in my heart, and I'm telling you, this three-service thing is cramping my style. I got to be honest with you. It's cramping my style. I, I feel, what's that? Bigger barn. Yeah, bigger barn, bigger barn. Uh, because I feel like I've got so much to unload on you. And some of you are going, thank God for three services. We'd be here all day. Um, no, just hope none of you were thinking that. Um, but this, I feel like this, the reason this is burning in my heart is because I feel like this is so important for the season that we're in. We've been talking about modern life. We've been talking about the, the, the pressures of our culture to get the church to uh, basically to compromise and to lose our edge. And I share with you the two things that God has blessed us with as Americans, and you all can say amen to this. How many of you know we're the freest nation on planet Earth? We have more liberties and rights. Hallelujah. And secondly, we're the most prosperous nation on planet Earth, which means we have not only the freedom to do what we want to do, but we have the resources to do what we want to do, in large part. Um, and compared to, again, what's going on in the nations of the world, no comparison. So don't, don't believe uh, a lot of the media lies right now about how bad we are, how, what an oppressive nation we are. It is the biggest bunch of nonsense you could ever hear in your life. I just basically shut my TV off. I'm very selective on where I get my stuff because there's, it's a constant assault on our nation, constant attack on everything. Uh, and not that we don't have issues that we need to deal with, we do, but how many of you know we're still the best thing going because of Jesus? And I had these flowers out here, these beautiful flowers. Um, they were once beautiful. They're not so beautiful any longer. In fact, you barely touch them and stuff falls off, all right? Um, but the point being, this is a picture of America right now. We're going to continue to go from bad to worse if we don't get reconnected with our source. Our source is the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth that's found in the Word of God. Now, the bad news is those, those roses cannot be supernaturally reconnected. Well, they can be supernaturally reconnected. In the natural, they cannot be re reconnected to their source, right? They're dead. They're gone. They're going to go from bad to worse. You cannot resurrect those roses. But the good news is people can be resurrected. Nations can be resurrected. Amen? And we shared last week one of the biggest lies that we are experiencing in this culture today is a trading of the authority of God's Word for personal preference. It's not that the world does that. We know the world already does that. The problem isn't with the world. The problem is with the church when we fail to submit to the truth that's found in God's Word. Now, I'm going to ask you, because, we, because this is a, a, a gut-check sermon and a gut-check series for all of us, myself included. I don't want to be one of those progressive, woke pastors who never preaches everything in the Bible. How many of you know there are people today who read about hell, for instance, and they say, well, if that's true, then I don't even want to follow God because I don't want to follow a God who would, who would make a place called hell. Oh, really? Oh, really? I wouldn't want to go to heaven if that's the kind of God that, that if, God create, if it was God's idea to create hell. Uh, well, guess what? You don't get to pick and choose what you want to believe. You get to read the Bible and submit to it. Now, can I just remind you, there's one person who talked about hell more than anybody in the whole Bible. And do you know what his name was? Jesus. So if you want to throw out hell, just throw out Jesus and just throw out the cross and just throw out salvation and throw out hope. So we better pause before we get nicer than God. I've showed you before, in the church we have this bad problem of trying to be nicer and kinder than we think God is. Well, you're not going to outdo God on kindness and niceness, but he's also holy and he's also just. So you can't go through and go, oh, there's a, there's a green bean, throw that out. Oh, I don't like artichokes, throw that out. Oh, let's go to the, let's go to the ice cream sundae. Oh, yeah, let's, go, oh, let's preach ice cream sundae every week. Ice cream sundae, ice cream sundae, ice cream sundae. No, you will not be healthy and you'll be deceived. 
And, and I would not be a good shepherd if you didn't preach the whole counsel of God. So I just, we, we have to love the Word of God. Love the Word of God. Embrace the Word of God. How about this? When you read the Word of God, ask yourself this question. What is it that I just read? What does that require of me? In other words, we don't get, we don't get prizes for Bible memorization or Bible study. Bible study by itself is worthless if there's no obedience attached to it. So when you read the Word of God, you should be saying, God, what are you saying to me right now so that I can act on it? And can I just encourage you, the sooner you act on it, that's when you see God's Word begin to work for you. Some people say, well, I read my Bible, but I'm not so sure that that's true. I tried that once, but it didn't work for me. Again, you're taking your personal experience and elevating it above the thus saith the Lord, the Word of God. Every time you elevate your experience or lack thereof above the Word of God, you make the Word of God of none effect. And I'm just telling you, we cannot pick and choose in this book what we like and what we don't like. The, the mainstream media does not determine my theology. I don't go, oh, CNN said this. Oh, therefore, I'm going to have to tear that page out, rip it out of my Bible. I could care less what CNN thinks about the Bible, all right? I care about what God says. I care about what's in his heart. And you need to care about it too. Otherwise, we lose our edge. We lose our anointing. We lose who we are. So how about this? If what God's word says is true, then here's the question. Will I obey it? If what God's word says is true, will I submit to it? Will I listen to what he says? And if what God's word says is true, here's the question. Will I make scripture the final and ultimate authority in my life. In other words, as your pastor, I'm choosing to live under the Word of God. I choose to bring my life under the Word of God. I choose to live in alignment with the Word of God. I don't pick and choose what I think is, is smart or what I think is up to date or what I think applies. It all applies, like I say, from Genesis to the maps, all right? I love it all. Uh, I believe it all. How about you? So this was the first question. Are you going to be committed... It's hard to preach with Pastor Dick on the front row. I'm just telling you, you you guys miss half the commentary that I get. But it is exciting, and you do have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to get through the message. All right, how how many of you are committed to letting the Word of God have absolute authority in your life? All right, this is important because this is what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You believe that God's word is true and what God says is true, and you bring your life under it. All right, let me talk to you about a second modern seduction that is all over America today, and that is the seduction of trading the whole for bits and pieces. If we are to live out our faith with integrity, how many of you know the word integrity at its root means whole? If we're going to be whole people living out the gospel in wholeness, in integrity, We have to be aware of the current divorce in our nation between public life and private life. How many of you have found that divorce? You've seen it around you, maybe in your workplace, whatever. The world and the spirit of the world likes to separate what you believe in private from who you are in public. Like they're two different worlds. Like there's a, there's a world here, for instance, in church where you all can be Christian. You all can be, do whatever crazy things you want to do. You can quote your Bible verses. You can raise your hands. You can shout hallelujah. But out there, you got to behave. Because your private life is different 
than your public life. In fact, in America today, we have to contend with a secularized view of life where faith has been quarantined, and I love that word, quarantined from any meaningful expression of public life. How many of you know we've even had our government quarantining your faith? We've still got crazy people trying to tell you that you can't go to church. I saw some people up in Idaho this week arrested in their parking lot for singing hymns in the church parking lot uh, because they weren't practicing social distancing while they were singing hymns. This is in Idaho, Christians being arrested. I kept thinking, my God, we don't have greater things for our police to be dealing with in our culture today than arresting people singing hymns in a parking lot at their church. But this is part of the quarantining of your faith. And if you think it's just about health, I'm telling you, health is just an excuse. There's been an attack on the public expression of our faith for a long time. I love it. Finally, I heard a theologian or a public figure say this this week, Albert Moeller, good Southern Baptist. He said, look, the church or the state has no business telling the church whether or not she is essential. Hello, we've been saying that for a long time around here. But they're trying to separate who you are in private from how you express your faith in public, and it's a quarantining of faith. One's faith has become a matter of purely private concern. And I want you to know that the result of a faith that is purely private is that it is privately engaging, but someone has said publicly irrelevant. Can I encourage you that the church is not meant to be irrelevant in any way, shape, or form? This should be the most relevant time, and we are the most relevant people on planet Earth. I want to give you a highlight. Though. How many of you know we had a transition, or we have a transition taking place in our Supreme Court? I love the fact that God knows the times and the seasons. God's the one who raises up and sets down. And who would have believed that right before a major election, we're looking at another Supreme Court vacancy? And who would have thought, amen. Who would have conceived that the person who has been nominated for that position is a mother of seven, a Catholic charismatic lady full of the Holy Spirit, and who is already being attacked and already has been attacked, and here's the basis of her attack. Not that she's not a nice lady, not that she's got a beautiful family, not that she's a believer, but here's the problem. This is what Senator Dianne Feinstein, the wonderful gal from California, uh, said, I said that dripping with sarcasm. She said, the dogma lives loudly within you, and that's of concern. Let me paraphrase that. What she says is, your faith is really alive and it matters. And that concerns us. Because you know what? Faith in America today has to be privatized. It has to be quarantined. You know, if, if faith is as precious as gold... I have a little gold coiner. Here's how we want our people to act. Here's how we want you to act in public. We're going to put your faith in a Ziploc baggie, and we're going to seal that so that your faith cannot get out in public. This is what the world's trying to do to us right now. Now, now when you read that about this wonderful lady who's going to go through hell this week, we need to pray for her. But what I want you to be especially aware of is how they try to take her faith and hermetically seal it from what she does as a Supreme Court justice. And can I just tell you something? That's impossible. You can't anymore separate what you believe and what's valuable to you and your love for Jesus. You cannot separate that from who you are in public unless you have mental illness. I mean, I'm serious. When I first ran for office, my, my, my first uh, campaign manager quit. And I said, hey, what's up? 
and he just shook his head and he said, I don't think we can separate Ron Johnson, the pastor, from Ron Johnson, the politician. I said, you can't. I said, because I'm not mentally insane, all right? I can't, I'm not schizophrenic. I don't have multiple personalities. What you see is what you get. And I just want to tell you, if you're a rabid secularist, you cannot separate your rabid secularism from the way you govern, which is going to be on display all week long. You're going to see the ugliness of people who are so blind, they think you can keep your faith separate while their faith is everywhere, except they just don't call it faith. But it's their godless, secular, progressive faith on display everywhere, trying to shut you up and trying to attack who you are. Now, here's my question. Here's my question. Is that appropriate? And is that the way the people of God are supposed to respond? Is that really what our faith looks like? In fact, this compartmentalization of our faith can be expressed in a lot of different ways. Your faith is private while what you do out there is public. Your faith is a sacred thing, but what we do out there is secular. It's godless. Your faith is about values. You've heard this one, right? But what we do out there is about facts. Your faith is subjective. It's about you personally. What we do out there is objective. It's for everyone. Your faith is, again, just that. It's faith. But what we're interested in is reason. Have you heard these arguments before? Your faith is a personal belief. But in this arena, whether it's the public school, public university, public whatever, it's all about science. As if, you know, this is another great comment I had. When somebody found out I was running for office, they said, that's great. Just tell him to leave his Bible at home. Okay, little history lesson here. We would not have science without this. We would not have half of what we would not have the government that we have. We would not have the economic blessing we have. We would not have the morality that we have. So when somebody tells you, leave your Bible at home, I'm being nice here. I mean, this is a good word. They are not stupid. That would be a bad word. They're ignorant. They're cut flowers. They're running around, spouting off while they're dying. This is the reason we have this in the first place. This is the reason. So to tell a candidate, leave your Bible at home, excuse me, it's time for re-education. Our faith is much more large than that. It's much more whole than that. You don't separate the Word of God from your heart or your life just because you work in public or you go to school in public. You can't do that without killing your faith. This false dualism that we have in America today has reduced our faith a little more than, how about this, private preference. Oh, that's, I'm glad that works for you. Have you heard that one before? Or faith as a spare time hobby. It's what I do on Sunday morning because evidently I've got nothing better to do. Or your faith is a leisure pursuit. Or how about this? I've seen people, their faith is just fire insurance. They don't want to go to hell. So faith is like, just in case everything pastor said is true, on the last day, I want to make sure I have my fire insurance card so I don't go to hell. How many of you know that is not the gospel? This this compartmentalized thing, this put on the mask and and then take it off when you leave here, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not about bits and pieces. It's about a whole. It's not about little compartments. It's it's an all-encompassing message of Jesus Christ and his lordship. Now, let me get into the gospel this morning and lay some tracks here. What is genuine Christianity? 
Let's start off with a God-created cosmos. Have, have you ever figured out why, and again, I'm using the word public, whether it's public high school, public universities, public government, whatever it is, there has been an all-out assault on God as creator of all things. And can I just tell you, the reason there is such an assault, even if you try to bring in things like intelligent design, even if you use science to refute bad science, right? And there's plenty of good science to refute bad science. If you try to sneak that in the, the public schools, you get the hammer nailed on top of you. And I want to connect some dots for you today. Because if God is not creator, then the gospel is not true, period. If God is not creator then God doesn't have authority, as we talked about last week. God doesn't have authority. Everything is about personal preference. So can I tell you, if the devil wants to go after undermining the church, one of the ways he wants to undermine the church is to lie to us about the fact that God is not creator of all things. Because how many of you know when you create something, you possess the rights to it? When you create something, you dictate what is done with it. The creation, in fact, the gospel does not start in John 3.16. It starts in Genesis 1.1. This is so important. The gospel starts in Genesis 1.1, the most important phrase in all of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Take a look at what the Bible says. Psalm, this is probably my favorite verse of all time because it's just so raw and powerful. Don't you love the promises of God that are just in your face, like deal with it? I love those kind of, I wouldn't want to serve a wimpy God. I don't know about you. I, want to ser I don't want to serve a God that we put in a Ziploc baggie just because he's so dangerous we have to put him in the freezer and keep him out of public, all right? God does not allow himself to be put in a Ziploc baggie. Look at this verse and, feel, and don't just look at it, feel this verse. The earth is the Lord's. And some of the things, the religious people in it. Are you guys awake? Yeah. What? Everything. 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 That's what I thought it said. The world and Christian nations belong to him. No, the world and all his people belong to him. I can't think of a more awesome verse than that right there. That verse is hanging in my front room of my house. That's how awesome it is. It makes the front room of my house. Out of all the verses, and there are so many good ones, it's hard to beat that verse right there. That verse speaks of absolute power and authority. And I don't know about you, but any God worthy of our all should have absolute power and authority. He should be bad to the bone. That verse is pretty much covers it. God says, everything in the world is mine. The world, all the people, everything I created, it's all mine. Is government God's? Is education God's? Psychology, sociology, the family, marriage, morals, ethics, everything is mine which means God lays authority over everything. That's pretty big. This is pre I mean, you know, that verse right there to an unsaved person, a secularist, is scary. It's scary. And can I just tell you something? The Bible is meant to be scary in a good way, like awesome scary, like God's bigger than I thought he was scary, like I better pay attention scary, like this is real scary. That's what I'm talking about. 
One of my favorite quotes of all time by Abraham Kuyper. There is not one square inch on the whole plane of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not proclaim, this is mine. Oh, I love that. Now, I'm just telling you, if I were ever nominated to be a Supreme Court justice, I would totally mess it up. Because if Dianne Feinstein tried to say the dogma is alive in you, I would say you haven't seen nothing yet. The dogma is consuming me because Jesus is Lord. Dianne Feinstein, Jesus is Lord of you. He's Lord over these chambers. There would be no law apart from him, and all of us are required to submit to his words and wisdom. That's the foundation of our nation, Dianne. That's what I would be saying. And then I would be killed in the media, and they would not select me. (laughs) But are you ready for this? I'm glad that I don't have to be that because I need to be who I am just like you need to be who you are, all right? But I would like the opportunity sometime just to say that. That would be fun. All right. We live in a God-created cosmos. This is the second part of genuine Christianity. All of life is sacred. There's not like secular, sacred, sacred, walk through the doors, Walk through this imaginary line, up secular. This wonderful lady nominated for the Supreme Court justice does not walk into the Supreme Court chambers and all of a sudden her faith drops off of her and then she becomes secularized. That's not the gospel. That's not what our nation needs. All of life is sacred. Look at Deuteronomy 10.14, another powerful verse. Look the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it belong to Diane Feinstein. Oh, no. Belong to the Lord your God. The highest heavens, that includes the starry cosmos out there, of which we can just see a tiny fraction, and the earth, and everything in it belong to who? Lord. To the Lord. How many of you know Christianity isn't so much about making a great choice? as it is about submitting to a great God. What do you do when you read verses like that? I'll tell you what happened early in my life. I was just confronted with the raw authority of God. When you read a verse like that, there's only one thing you do. is You you either say yes, and you submit, or you sit back and go, oh, that's a nice verse, and you move on acting like that verse has no impact on your life. These kind of verses should mess you up. God lays claim right now. Here's what happened. God lays claim to your entire being right now. He's claimed you. He owns you. So we don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to throw out the artichokes. No, no, no. He, He sets the rules, and he owns you. You're here on purpose, his purpose. All of life is sacred. Next point, this is staggering. I'm trying to connect some dots. I'm trying, I'm trying to give us like a, and anybody ever have, you've been kind of knocked unconscious a little bit and you got smelling salts put by your nose? I'm hoping that we have some Holy Ghost smelling salts this morning and some of you, it's better than coffee, all right? You, you get a sniff of, of truth and it shocks you because the gospel has to shock you before it can heal you. Everything exists, the Bible says, for the glory of God. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. 
He made the, throne, uh, the things we can see and the things that we can't see. How many of you know that pretty much covers it all? Such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Ah, personalize this. I was created through him, by his agency, by his power, by his will, and I exist for him. This is a secret to not wasting your life. You were made by God, and you have a unique purpose to to live for him. And you need to discover what that purpose is. But God has an assignment over your life and a purpose for your life, and your life is holy and precious to him. Now, this was one of those verses that rocked me. Actually, I got one more, uh, one more verse, and I got a good quote for you. Look at, look at Romans eleven thirty six. 36, another one of my favorite verses, because it's so succinctly powerful. Everything comes from him and exists by his power, which means God creates and God sustains by his power, and everything is intended for his glory. And then Paul has a pregnant pause there, and he begins to worship. All glory to him forever and ever, and then he puts his amen, yes, his agreement on the end of it. You've heard me preach this before, but it bears repeating. Everything is from him, through him, to him. It's a beautiful triangle. From him, through him, to him. Can you say that with me? From him, through him, to him. To him be all the glory and honor forevermore. Amen. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's so caught up by the words that are flowing out of his hand, and he pauses here to simply give an amen on what the Holy Spirit is revealing. That's powerful. Again, another quote by Abraham Kuyper, one of my favorite writers. If everything that is exists for the sake of God, then the whole creation must give glory to God. Can you find this? Follow the line of thinking. Everything that exists is because of God, right? Isn't that what God said? Including you. Then you exist, and by logical thought, this is why, again, faith and reason are not opposites. You cannot even reason apart from believing that God made your brain so that you could reason. You have to have faith in your brain that actually corresponds to reality for you to even reason about anything. So faith is the foundation of reason. It's not against reason. But when I reason off of the truth of God's word, I get led into the light and I get get led into freedom. So here's the thing. I exist because of God. I belong to God. Therefore, the purpose of my life is to bring him glory in everything that I do. You know, a professor taught this once in college. It's one of the best pictures I've ever had. If I ask you, what gives my hand the most glory? A sack, a mitten, or a glove? What would you say? What glorifies my hand more? A sack, a mitten, or a glove? Why? Because the glove perfectly fits the contours of my hand. Check that. The glove glorifies my hand. If you see a glove, you know what a hand looks like. If you see a mitten... Not so much. If you see a sack, you definitely don't know what's underneath a sack. But when you see a glove, you see a hand. 
How many know when God looks at you, when people look at our lives, they should go, that's what God looks like. Now, it's not the perfect, it's not the perfect reflection. It's not the perfect reflection, but they're like, there must be a God. There must be a God. By the way, not just because we're made in his image. That should be enough. You know, this is what ticks me off during this whole experience, is our medical community should be the ones telling us the truth. But they're not doing such a good job. In fact, when you study the human anatomy, or you study the heart, or you study the lungs, or you study the brain, or you study the eyes, or you study the circulatory system, you should be pausing and going, my God, you are awesome. Because this stuff doesn't happen by accident. But instead, we don't give glory to God because here's why. I don't want to live for the glory of God because I don't want to submit to the glory of God because then I have to follow what God has said. I would rather do it on my own. So now I'll conveniently put God into my Sunday morning experience. That's what a lot of Christians do. This is God on Sunday. And and then when it's time to go out in the world, we got to wrap them all up because God's kind of an embarrassment, isn't he? God's kind of an embarrassment out there in the real world, isn't he? No, he's not. But he's an embarrassment to people who don't want anything to do with him. He's a tremendous embarrassment. If everything that is exists for the sake of God, then the whole creation must give glory to God. This is why there's a judgment coming. Because everybody using that reason that we all use to attack God, if they use the same reason simply to track what God is saying, you would come to the conclusion that you're not here by accident and that your life has meaning and purpose. And that it is, Listen, this is strong language. I want to shock you with it. It is your duty. It is your duty to live for the glory of God. It is also your joy. It's the source of your pleasure. It's the source of your ultimate fulfillment. But you must come face to face with the awesome authority and power of God Almighty and his right over your life. Let me go to the next point. It's getting gooder and gooder. Anybody getting in? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling encouraged this morning. I mean, I'm excited. You know what? My life, my life is not an accident. I am pursuing maximum meaning and pleasure and fulfillment in Jesus. I'm excited about it. Let's talk about another radical thing about our faith. We mentioned a couple already, that we live in a God-created cosmos, that all life is sacred. There is no such thing as a secular part of life because God created it all and it exists for his glory. Everything exists for the glory of God. And how about this one? Jesus Christ is Lord of all. (laughs) I love that one. Look at Acts 10. 36. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel and for the people of America and for every other people. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of Christians at church on Sunday morning. No, he is Lord of all. There it is again. Jesus is claiming authority over everyone, everywhere, at all times. Isn't that astounding? Now, how many of you know he's either absolutely nuts or he's God? Those are your only two options. Anybody that tells you Jesus is a nice moral teacher, just slap him. No, don't really slap him, but just tell him you don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus is either God and Lord of all, 
or he is insane and should be mocked and ridiculed. But there's not anything in between. Listen to what the Bible says in Philippians 2, a familiar passage, but let's just read it. The public reading of Scripture is so important. In fact, we're commanded to hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, God elevated Jesus to this place of highest honor, and he gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There it is again. Every tongue. And you guys get this picture with me? The the most God-hating, venomous atheist is going to have his moment or her moment kneeling before Jesus Christ and confessing with their lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that'll be too late at that moment. That's not a confession of salvation. That is a confession of truth. Every knee is going to bow. The most God-hating, resistant, rebel, fist-shaking, God-rejecting person, the day is coming when every single knee will bow and and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is awesome. Sometimes we need to pause and just think about what does that look like? What will Judgment Day look like? You think some of these big rallies, crusades, where there's millions of people, I'm telling you, what does it look like to have every human being gathered before the judgment seat of God, every person who's ever lived? It's going to be awesome. Awesome. I mean, awesome in the fullest sense of the word. Let me wrap this thing up this morning. If we're not going to live this lie of bits and pieces, but we're going to live with integrity and wholeness, then how many of you know Jesus Christ has to be the blazing center of my life and the blazing center of your life. Blazing center. That means that fiery spot inside of you, that place of maximum affection, highest affection. And this is probably another one of my favorite verses. Colossians 1.18. He himself, Jesus, will occupy the first place. Everybody say first place. He will stand supreme and be preeminent in everything. Oh, I love this. What does it mean to be a Christian? One way to say it is this. Jesus is preeminent in your heart. You know, I enjoy lots of things. I enjoy food. I enjoy football. I enjoy fun. I enjoy my wife. I enjoy my kids. I like you people. But you know what? At the end of the day, if Jesus isn't the blazing center, we're idol worshipers. And this is the challenge of the church is, you know what? What, what is your sellout price? What, what, is your, what are the things that you love? What, is, what has the place of highest affection in your heart? Because whatever that is, it's an idol. And whatever it is, it's in competition to the Lord. And can I just tell you in this day and age, okay, Number one, the authority of God's word has to speak to us and has to grip us. We have to be under it. But number two, you got to stop living with all the compartments in your life. There are so many people, um, you know, Sunday morning is kind of a, God, I'm really sorry for the way that I lived the last six days. That's not how the gospel is supposed to be lived. Lord, forgive me for what I did on Saturday. So we come to Sunday, it's almost like confession. That's not Jesus as Lord. And again, I realize, please hear me on this, we're all in the process of growing, are we not? 
So this is not like, hey, if you don't have it together this morning or you've had a rough week, pastor's condemning you and God hates you and you're going to hell. That's not, that's not the message at all. But can I just say this? Part of what it means to be a real living believer in Jesus Christ is, for instance, as it, re- as it relates to the authority of God's word, when you read what the Bible says, you take it seriously and, and your cry is this, Lord, help me to do what I just read. And you're serious about the word. But how many of you know there are many people, you can't be serious about living under authority if you're not even serious about the Bible. So this, again, is not a condemnation of you. I'm saying, where is the passion in your heart? If God has spoken, where is the passion in your heart to know what he said? And where is the time that you're spending to hear what the one who created you and possesses you and made you for his glory, where is the time taken to really hear what he has to say about your life? You remember in times of awakening in the Bible, when they got the law back out and they started reading it, the people were like, oh no. Because God's word was so removed from the culture that when they finally read it, they realized we are in big trouble. That's called revival. We are in big trouble. They be, listen, they began to tremble at the word. When is the last time the word of God scared you? That's a, that's a good question, isn't it? When is the last time you got your chain jerked just a little bit by the Holy Spirit because you realize, ah. One of the greatest things I heard at one of our starting point classes was from a person who said this, I said, what do you love about living stones? Why, why are you sticking around? Usually we hear, oh, people there are so loving. I love the worship. You know, on and on and on. Lots of good things. But this is what they said. I'll never forget it. I can't remember the last time I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. Again, my jaw dropped because I thought, at the end of the day, what is more valuable to you? A hug and a handshake a great heartwarming song, or the conviction of the Holy Spirit to adjust your life so that you don't miss God and spend eternity in hell. Thank God for the conviction of his word to adjust our lives. Thank God if you spent some time recently weeping and saying, God, forgive me for my attitude or forgive me for this or that or whatever. God, forgive me and help me. And thank God if you're struggling right now, as we all should be, with the fact that you cannot conveniently put Jesus in the closet when you go out to work. Can I just tell you something? Last thing. You guys are talking way too much. Last thing. The reason I am fighting for religious liberty is because here, hear this. It's because if Brent Burnett, who runs his own business, wants to go out and live his faith out there, which is what he should be doing, I do not want government politicians to be telling us that there are certain things you cannot say, certain things you cannot do, certain ways you cannot act that are Christian, that you can't act out there, or that it impacts his hiring practice, or if he wants to pray for somebody on the job, he can pray for somebody, or if he wants to take his profits and give it away uh, to, to spread the gospel, he can do that, or if he wants to share the gospel at work, out in public, because somebody, he senses the Lord wants him to share 
share Christ with somebody, then I should be fighting and you should be fighting so that he doesn't have to compartmentalize Jesus and in doing so, rob the Lord God Almighty of his glory and honor and power. Listen, when the glory of God is at stake, that's when we fight the hardest. Listen, we're going to get into the next four weeks, actually a week from now, leading up to election. What should burden you about America is not, oh my gosh, what's going to happen this election, but how about this? What are we doing in this nation to trample the glory of God and lose our inheritance? That's what we should be worried about, to trample the glory of God. There should be a burning passion in our hearts to take God public because there is no public-private dichotomy with God. In Him we live and move and have our entire being. Not one square inch of your life is not holy and sacred unto God. And here's, here's what it means to grow up in the Lord. It means you begin to yield more and more and more of the territory to Him. I want to pray for you this morning. If you're, if you're here today and you're two things, you have a passion to let God's word adjust you and heal you and restore you, and you're willing to say this, I do not want to live my life with little compartments. Jesus, I'm standing to say I want you to be Lord of everything. If that's you, stand to your feet. I want to pray with you right now. Lordship of Christ, Jesus, consume me. Jesus, take me. Jesus, take full control. That's the, that's the cry of our hearts this morning. Father God, we present ourselves to you. Creator of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, Lord of everything above the earth, below the earth, in the earth. Everything belongs to you, Lord. We just simply recognize it and we believe it. And we respond right now by submitting to you. Jesus, take full possession of your church. God, consume every part of our lives. Jesus, be the blazing center of everything. We love you more than anything. Let the fire of God burn in us again, Lord. Fill us with holy fire. Fill us with blazing affection. God, may we be jealous for your name, for your glory, for your reputation in the earth. God, for your church that we would be alive and on fire, holy, full of life, full of purity. God, that's, that's our mandate. So, Lord, we submit to you today. We submit to you today. You know, there's some of you, this might be the first time you've really genuinely made Jesus Christ the Lord. You've really got it. God's doing something in you today. I have our leadership team up front here. Some of you need to just come up and say, you know what, I, I surrendered it all today. Pray for me. Pray for strength now to walk it out. God's doing work in some of your hearts. I'm telling you, if you connect some dots today by the Holy Spirit, this will be life-changing, all right? Life-changing. Stop living your life with little tiny compartments, one of which is labeled church or Jesus. Let him take control over every aspect of who you are. Father, thank you for what you're doing. We bless you. We honor you. We love you. In Jesus' name.